When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When your entire life is online, you need more than just speed from your internet. Xfinity gives you reliable in-home Wi-Fi coverage, plus protection from Wi-Fi network threats. Go online, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. It's another film study. Know your foe as we look ahead to Tuesday evening. Kevin McCusick, how are you doing? Life's good, Josh. How about you? I, uh, like always, enjoying the Steeler fans whining about their short weeks when we all have short <laughs> weeks this time of year. Uh, joining us is Ian Wharton from, uh, well, on Twitter, he's at NFL Film Study, and he writes over at Fansided. Ian, how are you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Just happy to be with you. Yeah, great generalist understanding of the NFL, Ian, and, and I really appreciate you on Twitter uh, and all you do there. But, uh, it, boy, if you need a host for a Know Your Foe episode, Ian is your guy for a couple of different teams, at least the Cowboys and Dolphins. Anybody else? Um, probably like the Browns. I think they're another team. I've got a lot of friends that are Browns fans. So throughout the years, I've kind of kept up with them pretty closely. All right. All right. Outstanding. Well, very, very happy to have you back. And as we, as we always do, I know you're full. We want to kind of uh, go back through what's happened. But tell us anything, anything you want to plug about your work or tell us about, you know, we've, we've hit on your Twitter handle. But what do you write about typically? Uh, so this year has been a lot of sports betting. So anyone interested in uh, checking out lines or any opportunities um, as far as like long-term betting or, or game props, stuff like that, I've been hitting that hard this year. So 
Uh, it's been a good year for us at uh, Sportsbook Review and then also at Fansided, um, hitting those types of articles. So um, anyone looking for that type of change of pace, be happy to help serve you this year. All right, very cool. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the Cowboys season to date. Obviously, let's, let's talk about big moments, obviously, and uh, the development surprises. But but in terms of just the character of the season, which has been a weird one in the NFC East, is it easy for Cowboys fans to still feel like this is a this is an open division, anybody's division? Yeah, I, I think that they need to. Um, it's just been so strange, right? Like, I think the expectation was you get the head coaching change, Mike McCarthy talked this big game over the offseason. Uh, there's going to be changes, more analytics. It's going to be great getting out of Jason Garrett's shadow. Um, I think that Garrett was typecasted as the scapegoat quite often. And really this team has clearly deeper issues than that, as we've seen this year with McCarthy. Whether or not McCarthy was the right choice, we'll find out over time. Um, but I think that the, the expectation was, and I know for me, also was this should be a playoff team. This is a good roster. They played well together last year. The defense really played well um, as a unit, and I think that they found their identity. So then you get rid of the coaching staff, you bring in a new coaching staff, and we've all kind of seen this with different teams where, well, sometimes the old roster doesn't fit the new staff. And even though they kept Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator, um, I think that there's a reason to look at this and say, all right, maybe this year has been a massive disappointment. Sure, we're still in the playoff race, but we can just kind of wash it off because of the, the Dak injury. So, and I don't know if that's fair to do. I, it doesn't mean it's an entirely lost season. We'll talk about some of the developments that um, they've seen this year and, and lack of development that they've seen elsewhere. Um, for this season's purpose, they might as well keep competing. I mean, you've got Andy Dalton. He's one of the league's best backups. Uh, you guys certainly saw him as, as Ravens fans and, and analysts that what he can do, he's not perfect. He's pretty limited, but he also has uh, enough talent to operate an offense at a high level. The last couple of weeks we've seen that with Dallas. He can he can get the job done a little bit, and uh, especially on a loaded offense like they have as far as playmakers. So I think sitting where they are now, yeah, it's ugly. It's been an ugly season, but they got through an Andy Dalton injury already, so hopefully he can stay healthy the rest of the year. And there's at least a fighting chance. I mean, the rest of the teams in that division are so bad. There's no reason why they can't make a push and still make the playoffs. Right. So you're not buying into the notion that the Eagles are the class of the division by any by any stretch. I don't. I, I kept putting faith in them really over the last two years. I was like, okay, this team can turn it around. They can do it. They can do it. I, I was a big Carson Wentz skeptic as he came out of college, and then he won me over. Uh, 2017 was just so good. 2018 he was solid, and even last year I could say, okay, you know what? It's not all his fault. There's still things that are just around him that are tough to judge, uh, tough to gauge. But this year he's broken. And it doesn't really matter what's around him because he's been so bad that it's just out of the control of everyone there. Um, and yes, the team has limitations, but it, the Eagles should be better than what they are. It just feels like a team that lost that star power and that, that allure that they had a couple of years ago in that Super Bowl winning season. At some point, I guess I've given them the benefit of the doubt. So at this point, I think Dallas is, is right in the mix with everyone else. So let me go back to this question because it's a divisional question. Do you think the Browns are happy they have Baker Mayfield as opposed to Carson Wentz at this exact point in time? I think so. Um, at least with Baker, he's functional within his role. And I think that's where Wentz is lost is that Wentz is so much of a, I need to break the system, I need to work outside of uh, 
what's been drawn up, and he doesn't function well within the system. And at least with Baker, he can execute what's put in front of him. Um, I think both have been very disappointing so far, especially with Baker's rookie season. Um, I knew some of that was a little bit smoke and mirrors and great catches, but at least he had the moxie and he had the mojo, and he was very accurate in college, so there's no reason to think he wouldn't have been at least accurate in the NFL. A lot of that's broken down. He just looks like a lot different of a player, and Wentz looks like he was way back in college. So he looks totally different than what we saw at, at a successful level in the NFL. So if I'm the Browns, I'm happy, and part of the reason that I'm happy is that I can get out of the Baker Mayfield experience. Yes. <laughs> and the Eagles can't get out of the Carson Wentz experience for at least another year, um, and they probably need to be starting Jalen Hurts at this point, but I, I also don't know how you justify that when I think Wentz has like a $50 million cap hit next year or something crazy if they get rid of him. So, yeah, it, that's a, they're both two in situations where they're probably both kicking themselves for making the decisions they did, although at least the Eagles got a Super Bowl out of it. So, Maybe they're not fully regretting everything. Right. It's, it's, it's complex, but you know those golden years of a young quarterback are special. As soon as you sign the long-term deal, you better have the right guy. Uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's obviously a big risk. And Browns fans, I think, are dreading a commitment to Mayfield at this point. But anyway, let's get back to talking to the Cowboys. I apologize for taking us down this, this rabbit hole here. Let's talk about, I usually like to ask about third and fourth year development players in particular, because those are guys you have to make uh, impending contract choices about whether that's a year four deal where you actually have to sign the guy to a long-term contract as opposed to free agency or a year three deal where you're trying to preempt that process and get the guy signed a year early, potentially at a discount. Yeah. So interestingly, the, the Cowboys have done well early in drafts and they've tended to do well as far as taking care of those guys. Um, and then they struggle later on in the drafts. They don't have a whole lot of guys that have fit that description. Um, unfortunately, last year they made the decision to let go of Byron Jones. They let him walk in free agency. I think that was one of the defining moments of this season, before the season even started. Uh, it changed the identity of their defense. It changed everything as far as what they'd be able to do on the back end. And it's really led to their secondary struggling this year um, for other reasons, too, with, with some of their, their mid-tier guys. Anthony Brown um, definitely has not taken that step that they wanted. They extended him last year. Jordan Lewis is a guy with a contract coming up. I'm not sure that you can extend him. He hasn't really been anything special. He's a ball hawk in college, but he doesn't really found the ball too much in the NFL. So you see the guys like that on the back end. It's like, okay, so we let the, our high-priced guy go, and you didn't have the pipeline ready to replace him. Jadobi Awuzie, another guy, been banged up a lot. Not really fair to him, but he was also a guy that had injury concerns out of college. So I'm not sure what they expected with that. Like it, Guys don't really change generally that much outside of college. So uh, on the back end, they haven't really done too well on defense. Although, you look at their first-round picks or their early-round picks, some guys have also been massive hits. Michael Gallup, really, really talented young receiver. I'd like to see him in an offense with a bigger role. I don't know that they bring him back in the future because they already have Amari Cooper, and they traded a first-round pick for him, speaking of early-round uh, picks. Gave him a massive contract this last year instead of Byron Jones. I don't necessarily disagree with that, but then they did draft C.D. Lamb. And it becomes a real position of strength for 2020. But Michael Gallup, a third-year player, uh, so I assume he's a he's an RFA this next year. Is that correct? Or he's or he's a, he was a drafted player originally who will, who is on, has a year left on his contract. I think he's got a four-year deal, so he should have another year left, and I think okay. he'll be extension eligible this coming off-season. Okay, so that's the question I had: is with the with his breakout, is he a player that you wanna you wanna sign right now to an extension? as opposed to, to having it. It's usually done for an RFA play. Sorry, 
yes, an RFA fourth-year player, because then there's, there's already a $3 million hit coming to keep that guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, with him, I don't know that they can afford to. Uh, Dallas is already, and that's the problem with all their free agents. They have Aldon Smith coming as a free agent. Um, obviously, Dak Prescott. You know, those are the guys to watch there and adding Gallup in there. Those are their three guys that I think that you'd want to extend. Xavier Rhodes, another guy, he's coming up that will be a decision as well. Um, those are your five guys, I think, that you're four or five guys that you're looking at. Uh, the rest of the roster really doesn't have too much coming up. So, um, But how much do you allocate when you've already extended Ezekiel Elliott? And that, that contract really looms large, the Tyron Smith deal. Now with him getting another season-ending injury, it's hard for them to cut corners at this point, and I think a guy like Gallup is going to look at the market uh, and maybe say, hey, you know what, I, you're not going to extend me. You can't afford to. I don't know how you can justify it. You've got Lamb, you've got Cooper, you've got Zeke, unless if you're going to move Zeke in 2021, at the end of 2021, which is probably a smart move, and even then they're going to take a big hit on that. I see my future isn't here. Um, this year he's only got 37 catches, 538 yards. If I'm him, I'm screaming. I need to go to somewhere else. I need to go to Baltimore. I need to go to Green Bay. I need to go to one of these teams that really need a top receiver with a good quarterback. Um, Miami, a team like that with a bunch of assets, they can move for him. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I don't think there's much incentive for the player to really take a deal with Dallas, um, at least for Gallup in particular. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking at the over-the-cap for 2021, and not only do the Cowboys still have a fair amount of cap space in 2020, which is not something I, I was aware of, but it looks like they still have about $23 million for 2021. I know a lot of that will have to be earmarked for Prescott in one way or another, but it seems like the Cowboys would have at least be, be highly incented to keep some other young talent around him if there were some bargain shopping they could do among their own third- and fourth-year players. Okay. Yeah, I see. Okay. Um, so I was, I was showing Dallas that um, basically even on cap room next year, but if we get the rollover, that would make sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely becomes a little bit tighter with the And it all becomes, it comes down to DAC, right? So what can they restructure? What can they move money around? I, the problem is they're kind of in where like the Saints were for so long, is where they're leveraged out to their eyeballs. Mm-hmm. Um, 2021, you can't touch DeMarcus Lawrence's money. You can't really touch Mari Cooper's money. Uh, Tyron Smith, you save a little bit, but then you open up that hole. So are you going to pick someone in with your top 10 pick if they end up in the top 10 uh, at a left tackle and you move that, that type of deal? Maybe you do. Um, Ezekiel Elliott, you can't touch that money. And then obviously Dak's going to get anywhere between, if you keep him, 30 to $40 million a year. So it, it, all of a sudden it becomes so tight that, you know, I, I'm not sure that, that this team has much flexibility moving forward and, and you have to really look at this roster and say, well, well, when what happened this year, right? Why isn't this team winning outside of Dak? Are there other guys that are causing these issues? or So do we need to flush guys out, or do we need to just work like the Saints and really just work the margins every single year for the next couple of years? So top-heavy roster, always very challenging. One thing Cowboys fans complain about regularly when I'm down there on the radio I hear is that they really do not like the Jerry Jones as the leader of personnel decisions component of the team. Can take us through what that's like as a Cowboys fans having an owner who wants to really be the general manager. Yeah, it, it it's almost it's tough because it, it's almost like a scapegoat if it goes wrong. It's an easy to blame thing if it goes wrong. The reality is that these guys are billionaires for a reason, right? They make decisions. They even the guys that don't necessarily 
uh, get credit for being in the mix. Uh, those guys are still usually a part of some sort of uh, decision-making process. They want their first-round pick to be a guy that fans kind of know. Uh, and that doesn't mean they're making the pick like Jerry Jones. He's obviously much more prominent in that role, but he's become the guy to, to hate, which is actually a little bit smart for him. It saves his head coach a little bit of the pressure, saves a, an actual GM from getting uh, some of that pressure because he can't be fired. He's there indefinitely, and for him it doesn't really matter. Uh, I think some of it is a, a, a marketing ploy to be uh, up front and to take the brunt of the hate and maybe save some of the players some of the, the, the blame, even though they're going to get blamed for when they don't win. It's frustrating, though, I think, from the aspect of a fan to say, you know, we look at the, the Patriots, and they've got this, you know, maybe the greatest coach of all time making these decisions. We trust when he makes a decision, even if he gets it wrong. Okay, you know what, he knew that more than I did. When an owner does it, it doesn't really come off as uh, the expert in the room, right? It comes off as the fan. The SEC Arkansas fan watched his team play and get whooped by Alabama, and then he took a guy who doesn't necessarily work out like he thought he would, and it's just easy to say, well, he watched that one game and made that decision. So fair or not, maybe that is, maybe it's not, um, and it may not be specific just to Jerry Jones. Um, you know, you look, Going back to the Browns, their decision with Johnny Manziel, their owner, Jimmy Haslam, kind of made that decision with Manziel. Mm-hmm. And so it happens across the league. I think Jones is just, he's been in our lives for so long that it's just kind of comfortable. It's comfortable to look at him and the head coach and kind of blame them and, uh, you know, sometimes that's not always fair. Sometimes it comes down to, to bigger things or totally out of their control. Like we saw Tony Romo's career kind of go down for reasons that weren't always in his control. Yeah, Good broadcasting career there for Tony. We've really been appreciating him. Back to the point about Jones focusing the hate on himself, though. That's a very well understood business and military strategy that leaders really want. Generals want the, want the hate focused on them because their junior staff then has a much easier time leading their troops and whatnot. Very, it's a, it's a very savvy thing, and, and I, I'm, it's an interesting point to hear that I've never heard made about Jones uh, in that regard, that it might make it e- actually easier for his coaches and coordinators to, 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 be, uh, to be good at that. Let's talk, there have been a lot of injuries, obviously, in Dallas. I, I don't think anybody is completely up to date on other teams' injuries. Take us through the injuries that have occurred this year I, I, on Dallas. Okay, yeah, sorry about that. Um, yeah, so they've, they've had a flurry of injuries. Obviously, uh, Dak Prescott is the big one. Uh, that's the one that changed their season um, just in a blink of an eye. So immediately the, the prognostication for this team probably went from, you know, at least from my opinion, it was going to be deep playoff run. Uh, if everything works out with McCarthy, this goes from, you know, a, a, maybe a fringe playoff team last year to a team that should really push for, for uh, contention. And then it kind of spiraled from there. We saw injuries to... Uh, Tyler Biedas, um, their fourth-round pick at center, who is mm-hmm. really good. He hasn't missed much, missed much time, but he's been a very good center for them. And that's important. Obviously, Travis Frederick retiring, that was a game-changer for them. His offensive line has just been rattled with injuries, and, and that starts with the Tyron Smith injury. He goes down with another season-ending injury. Um, and then you start to touch on um, Zach Martin, slides mm-hmm. the right tackle, goes from guard, an all-pro guard, starts to play really well at right tackle. And he gets hurt. And so this offense, then Andy Dalton, I mentioned, he got hurt. So you're playing Garrett Gilbert. So the team quickly becomes a shell of itself. And it's, you know, how on earth um, do you look at this as as an ownership and as a fan and say, well, 
Yeah, like we should really blame them for this year. When when you're down to a third-string quarterback and backup offensive lineman, and there's there's just no way to have depth at those types of positions. So uh, I, I think offensively, it's just changed everything that they wanted to do and threw it down the trash. And then you look at guys when they mess up, for example, like Ezekiel Elliott fumbling a couple of times, and just it amplifies it so much. It makes it to where it's almost impossible to win. All right, well, let's go over it. Let's turn it over to the offense right now and, and talk about the, the various things. Prescott's obviously, his status, is he? Is there any construct under which he's in limbo and they're looking for a new quarterback? Do you think that, uh, you know, obviously he's he's at the end right now. He needs to sign or or walk at this point, right? Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's going to be either a franchise situation or a long-term deal. Um, and I think from his standpoint, uh Coming off a major injury like that, I mean, I think you've got to try to do what you can to get that long-term deal wherever it is. There's a lot of need for quarterback across the league, and it's it's a draft that's filled with quarterbacks potentially too. I think we're looking at four or five first-round quarterbacks, um, which isn't great for Prescott, and it's probably good for the Cowboys from their uh, negotiation standpoint too. So from, from Dak's standpoint, he just has to, to secure what he can, and he didn't get the offer that he wanted last year. He may have gotten the $35 million that he wanted but he didn't get four years guaranteed or three full years guaranteed, whatever he was looking for. It wasn't there on the table. Mm-hmm. And I think that his worth has been proven to the team. He came out and played so well. I mean, we're four or 500 yards passing um, with a ridiculous set of weapons, and the team was still losing and not super competitive in some of these games. So I think that says a lot about that the issues were not with him, but everything around him while he was taking his game to the next level. Um, and, and from Dallas's standpoint, we just talked about being capped out. Well, you're capped out, so do you want to bring it back to a team that hasn't won anything and pay a quarterback $40 million a year? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to open the whole kind of rebuild on the fly a little bit, move some of these guys for assets, you know, take advantage of this draft heavy, uh, quarterback-heavy draft class, or maybe kick the can down the road a little bit? It's, it's a tough decision because you found your quarterback. You know, he's a, at least a top 10 quarterback, it, depending on how you feel about him. Some people will say he's elite. Some people will say he's yeah, like right on the cusp. I'm probably on that, that standpoint. He's very above average um, to high level, especially in this offense. He's very, very good. And I'd be happy to pay him. I, I would keep him if you can. But if you can get your hands on a, a top five pick, maybe you lose a lot of these games down the road. Maybe Justin Fields comes into the picture or – um, if you love one of these other quarterbacks, Zach Wilson or someone like that, maybe it's more of a discussion because you can say, all right, we need to reset our assets a little bit. The, uh, the roster's getting a little bit older. Some of these guys didn't work out with the, the scheme change, and it's just not going to work while Dak's in his prime. And that's a that's a fair point, too. So it's uh, these are extremely high-end decisions that they have to make, and the team almost always picks the quarterback. Washington was the only team that didn't pick the quarterback when they let Kirk Cousins right. uh, go to Minnesota. So. Uh, and that, which I don't know if you'd argue that worked for them. In some ways it did, some ways it didn't. So um, that's it's a very, very difficult choice. Uh, that That is the team that I would point to, though, in the division that's really clearly in ascension. I mean, they have a, they have a wonderful defensive line that Chase Young, when he's been uh, in there, has been a heck of a disruptive force this year. Uh, they have some weapons on offense who look pretty good. And, they've you know, Alex Smith is not the long-term answer at quarterback, but they're in position now to get another one 
in, in particular in this draft if they, if they want to. Do the Cowboys want to get in that game where they're trying to compete with an aging team against a young up-and-coming team, or would they prefer to you know, reset, rebuild, redo it all? And I, I, don't know, I don't know where Jerry Jones would be on this, but it's, you know, at some point you have to really be practical about where your business is in terms of how you, uh, how you treat it going forward. Yeah, and I think just looking at his past, he's not been the rebuild type. He hasn't been particularly good at the rebuild. Um, he lucked into Dak Prescott. And where would this team be mm-hmm. if they didn't have Dak Prescott? So um, maybe they just kept would have kept riding Tony Romo that one season, and maybe that was the right call. You know, they uh, lucked to into Tony to Romo when you talk yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. So, so who knows how it, it would play out. I, I would guess that Jones wouldn't want to do that. I'm, I'm guessing he's just going to bring the cast back next year as best as he can. Um, but we already see them lose, you know, Byron Jones from that strategy. Um, they, I think they picked the wrong guy to pay. They paid him over Mari Cooper. And I don't know that that was the right decision. So it, it's really tough when these margins are this thin. You're going to miss some decisions, and then it's easy to look back and say, you know, we might have messed that up. Right. I mean, they're, the pig in the python with Elliot you mentioned is the really big one because it, it, until they can get out from under that contract, and I'm of the opinion, I don't care how good the guy is, I'm never paying a running back a second contract. That's my, that's my starting position. I'll draft new guys and I'll take the heat for it with my fan base when I let a good player go. But it's, uh, you know, the number of, of running backs who stay around the league for many years is limited. Uh, you know, we've seen the shelf life and the difficulty on it. And I'd just be very hard to structure a contract that really makes sense for a running back on that second deal that's up there, eight, nine, 10 plus million dollars. Yeah, I agree. You look at guys like Melvin Gordon. Um, it's funny, I, I had tweeted out last year right Todd before the agency. Yep, Todd, yep. And, and Gordon in particular, I tweeted out, you know, like the deal I expected him to get. He had liked the tweet and he had responded, you know, like some you know, smart remark or something. And it ended up being right. He, you know, he had laughed and scoffed at the money that it was talked about that he was going to get in free agency. He thought he was going to get one of these, you know, Todd Gurley deals. Mm-hmm. And uh, no, he, the exact deal that I had projected he got is what he got. And it's like, you know, I, I wish he would have gotten more for him. Like, I, I don't, it's nothing personal, obviously. Um, but teams are m- more and more realizing that. And at the same time, we're still going to see it, right? Nick Chubb is going to get paid very, very well. He's going to be the next mm-hmm. guy to, to just get a ridiculous contract. But I'm with you. I, I, as good as these guys are, there's three backs like that a year. You know, mm-hmm. it, it you know, Tony Pollard's doing a great job for the Cowboys as a backup. Maybe he would be slightly less efficient if he was a starter, um, but I would like to pay him a million dollars a year over Zeke getting, you know, 15 or whatever he's at. Sure. Yeah, Le'Veon Bell would be another great one from recently. I mean, that contract, the, the Joe Douglas wanted to get out of it before Le'Veon Bell had even played a game with the Jets. <laughs> <laughs> it was that kind of deal. Anyway, all right, let's get let's keep going. We want to get specific on the Cowboys here. So, why don't you take us through the current state of the offensive line? We know there've been a lot of injuries, but who's playing where uh, come Tuesday? Yeah, so I, I think we're going to see uh, Brandon Knight, a left tackle, Terrence Steele, right tackle. Um, those guys as replacements have been solid. Uh, it's been pretty impressive. Like, not saying they've been great. You're not having four starting offensive linemen you know, in the game or starting tackles on the roster at one time. But Steele in particular, I think, is a guy that he's toolsy. Um, I like what I've seen out of him. Uh, I think that you can at least say that if he's a guy that can be a stopgap for two or three weeks if you need that. Every team needs that swing tackle who can do that. I liked what he's done with reasonable expectations. Um, Biedas will be back at center. 
So I think he's going to be good. We're waiting to see on Martin. Martin has been on the injury list um, with that calf injury. If he's going to play, if he's going to play guard, I think that would be a smart matchup this week, keep him at guard. If you can keep those uh, night and steal at tackle, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, overall, the line has not been what we expected because when we entered the year, we thought this would be an elite offensive line. That's obviously just it, – it was ruined almost immediately with the Smith injury. So um, mm-hmm. can you have one week guard, right, and maybe some average to slightly below average tackles and survive against the Ravens defense? I don't know that you can. I, I really don't know that this is a game that Dallas could even go into with anything less than their healthy offensive line and feel great about. And that's just because when you start to get to those backup linemen, and you guys you know, know this so well, the drop in athleticism is usually very noticeable. So mm-hmm. the thing with Martin and Smith, are they are the best athletes at their position in the world, right, or at least top five. And so you're going to Knight, who's an okay athlete, and Steele, who's an okay athlete, they're good for backups, but they're going to be facing one-on-one islands against guys, and they're going to probably have, depending on who's starting quarterback for the Ravens, you may have to throw the ball a decent amount of times. Andy Dalton moves into pressure. He doesn't do a good job moving away from pressure. So if there's pressure coming, his instinct is to somehow drift toward it, and that's been his limitation throughout his career. <laughs> so, it, you know, it, it, it's just working with backups, right? So you're just working with these massive limitations overall. But if you can get the ball out quickly – Steele, I think, is in particular. Viedas is a really good run blocker, so I'd mm-hmm. like to see him try to get that second level as often as he can. And obviously Martin, we know, can get downhill. He can accomplish anything, whether it's at tackle or guard. He's just a fantastic player. Um, so we'll see, though. Overall, I'd say it's just not a great line entering this game. Very, very, Zach Martin, Ravens fans don't necessarily know him being AFC fans, but the best tackle in the game right now, and he's clearly he's the successor to Marshall Yonda in a lot of ways as being that lineman who could do anything you wanted. Um, he is a, a guy who now playing right tackle, that's exactly what Yonda did in 2010 when the Ravens needed him to do it. And the great ones can always do it regardless sometimes of the physical limitations. I don't know where Martin is in terms of the arm length thing, but that wasn't Yonda's strength. Yonda had lots of other things that were that were very positive about him. Uh, Martin, uh, what's the nature of hinge injury? Um, so it, it looks questionable. So I think he'll play. Um, I think what, it's more what's like the, the actual type of injury. Um, I wanted to say it was a strain. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And, that's so. a, and that was a good point on, on him kicking out, too, cause, because I know – so part of the reason that Martin was moved to guard was that he's, like, right on the edge of lengthwise. Like, I remember being at the mm-hmm. Senior Bowl watching him play, and that was the talk, right, is that this guy is good enough to where he should be able to overcome that and compensate for it, but it was more likely than not just because of protocols that he was going to play um, guard. But we've seen that it really hasn't been an issue, which is – you know, has been the case for several great offensive tackles. It just doesn't always matter when you're that good. Yeah. So 33-inch arms in the in that range for, for Martin, like kind of a shorter end for a tackle, but a long for a guard? Yep. Uh, okay. It's a, that's a, uh, it's certainly a good place to be, and I don't think any Cowboy fan could complain about the way it's worked out. Martin was a number one draft pick, 15-16. Where was he? Yep. I think he was 15. Okay. All right. Um, so... We talked a little bit about Prescott, obviously. Take us through the wide receiver core. Yeah, so I, I love this group. This is a super talented group. Uh, I really love what they did. I thought that Arizona probably should have taken um, C.D. Lamb with their first-round pick instead of Isaiah Simmons. Nothing against Simmons, but I think these three wide receiver sets that we're seeing across the league is, is very important to have. 
this is a deep group, though, and it goes beyond those guys. So, obviously, Amari Cooper, he's having a really good season overall. He's closing in on 1,000 yards. He has about um, 850 right now. Uh, hasn't had the touchdowns. I think that's more to do with the quarterback than it does any of these guys' individual talent. Um, can do it all. Can get the ball um, in space, make plays happen. He can a very, very, very good route runner, so he can win one-on-one. Um, I'd love to see him and Marlon Humphrey, him and Marcus Peters go one-on-one. Um, just because those are great playmakers in space that can try to cut the ball off before it gets to him. Cooper, great hands. It's shored up his drops a little bit this year. I think he's done a really nice job overall. It's gone under the radar because the team hasn't been great, but he's been very good. C.D. Lamb, great playmaker. Same thing, similar to Cooper in the sense that if you get the ball in his hands immediately, either on a screen or on a short route, he can really make a defender pay and get upfield, uh, make some yards after the catch happen. And, and I, I love to see that, especially out of a young guy. Interesting on him, he's catching almost 73% of his targets this year. I think. Oh, that's, that's fantastic for a wide receiver. Exactly, exactly. Just for comparison, Amari Cooper's at 54%. So, obviously, average rate of those catches are different. Um, Cooper's probably catching the ball a little bit more downfield, being targeted downfield a little bit more. Uh, but Lamb has been nothing short of, spe- of spectacular. Um, they should be thrilled with him um, at 650 yards. Yeah, I mean, I would be. I could tell you that. There's no Raven receiver with anything close to that. But Des Bryant, of course, is now back with the Ravens, and that's one of the one of the storylines of this game. But Des Bryant, his last three years in Dallas, caught 150 of 300, 300 targets exactly for 6.8 yards. I mean, I, I, that's not good for a wide receiver, but th- but that shows you that you can get you you know the 73 percent for a wide receiver is just outstanding. I mean, t- many tight ends are not in that level. Mark Andrews. Is only around sixty percent since the first two games of two thousand nineteen. So uh, that's that's a fa- fabulous number. And I, I, you know, on draft day, we were very surprised Lamb lasted as long as he did to be drafted by the Cowboys. It was w- certainly one of the really big bargains in the in that first round. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it just didn't feel right because I know like the Jets were talking about taking him too. And he just seemed to fit everywhere because you could do so much with him. Um, Gallup's been having a great season. Kind of talked about him a little bit. Uh, when he gets the ball, only 68 targets for him, though, 37 catches, 538 yards. So he's a guy who wins one-on-one, though. He can play vertical. It's great vertical speed. He's done really well as far as uh, developing beyond that, becoming a very good vertical post route runner, uh, wins at the stem very well, so he accelerates well without changing the speed too much. Uh, I think he's that next guy that he would emerge somewhere else, or if he come, or if Dak comes back next year, I think he could emerge and become a 1,000-yard receiver potentially with Dak, depending on how the offense is structured. I mean, if Dak's throwing 500 yards a game, he's gonna, they're going to have three 1,000-yard receivers. It's inevitable. But uh, hopefully they don't have to do that next year. But he's been very good this year, especially for him to see a reduced workload than what I thought was possible this year. Um, I thought he's done really well. And then you look at the tight ends. Dalton Schultz has really emerged for this team. Uh, Kind of heard this name around a little bit. Cowboys uh, fans and, and, and analysts had seen him in camp and said, for a couple of years now, I've been like, you know, this guy, good athlete, man. Like, he can play. Like, just wait. Wait until he gets his chance. 24, um, so he's not even a, a well-developed player. Tight ends notoriously take a couple of years to develop. Mm-hmm. 432 yards this year, almost 10 yards a catch, three touchdowns, uh, 67% catch rate. And, again, look at who he's working with. He's working with. Andy Dalton, and a couple of guys that you couldn't pick out of a lineup in Garrett Gilbert and Ben DiNucci. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I think that they have really built this fantastic support system. 
At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Uh, around their quarterbacks. And I even like Cedric Wilson Jr., their fourth-string receiver. Um, he was a playmaker in college. He's gotten a little bit of a chance this year. Is almost 200 yards on only 16 catches uh, and a couple of scores. So they have these guys that, that fill roles extremely well. They have the vertical threat in Gallup, a do-it-all guy in Cooper, a guy that does extremely well after the catch in C.D. Lamb, and then Wilson's a speedster as well. So I really love the depth that they have on this group. Uh, they don't really have a tight end too. That's really notable. Blake Jarwin is, you know, not really too great. But I love this the depth that they've built there. Okay, so first of all, you're making all the Ravens fans jealous because the Ravens' leader this year in yards has 516. Uh, they they don't have anybody who who really is is threatening the field the way they need to. And they've, aside from this last game, they've had Lamar Jackson every game. It's not like the, the Cowboys have been without their top quarterback and, and still getting lots of yards out of the receivers. And I know you t- you'd be behind, you have to throw more. There's some of that, and there's some stylistic differences between the teams. But there's just also a lot of quality of receiver differences. And, and, uh, uh, and the, you know, we're certainly seeing a, a, a team that's near number one in terms of the quality of the receivers versus a team who's much nearer to 32 in terms of the quality of receivers in, this, uh, in the matchup this week. Uh, let's move on. You talked a little bit about the tight ends. Let's move on to the to the running backs. Tell us what, what each is kind of doing this year. Yeah, so Ezekiel Elliott, he's had a tough year. Um, I, I've been a big fan of his for years, but you can tell some of the explosiveness is gone. He's only 25. Like That's what's shocking. It feels like he's been around forever. He came in the league very young. Obviously, they picked him over Jalen Ramsey, and that's been a point of contention since the pick was made um, for Cowboys fans. And it's not aged great. Zeke has been very good as a running back, but, you know, it's like you mentioned and we just kind of talked about, can you replace him? Yeah. Yeah, you probably can. So he's at four yards of carry this year, closing in on a 1,000 yards total. Um, nothing spectacular for him. The, the biggest storyline for him has been the fumbles. Uh, he's had six balls put on the ground this year, and it's Ooh. extremely unlike him. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, that's a career high for him. It's, it just seems to be like the yips at this point. Are they are they targeting him? I mean, Marlon Humphrey has been the punch out king uh, this year. He's he's become only the second cornerback with six forced fumbles in a year. Is he really getting targeted when he's running? Are the people tackling the ball or or second man to the ball, or is it even first man to the ball getting some of those forced fumbles? I'd say it's about half and half. So once the ball started getting put on the ground, you could tell both the defenders were starting to punch and they were trying to get him. And then some of it, I think, is just in his head. I think he had two or three in one game. And it was just, you know, it, you just couldn't stop at that point. At that point, he probably just needed to sit the bench and just, you know, get to the next game. Um, but, yeah, he's, he's still that back, though, that takes what's there extremely well. He, he's going to take exactly what's available and maybe get a yard or two more every time. Uh, there hasn't been much there, and some of that is just because of the line influx and it's, uh, some of it's out of his control and then the quarterback uncertainty. Uh, when it's Andy Dalton and when it's Connor McG- uh, McGovern at, at guard and then also uh, uh, Cameron Fleming at tackle, so that's like their best iteration of their lineup now, he's pretty good. But it's just not enough to really be scared about. You know, If you're the Ravens, you're not looking at this game saying, Zeke's going to beat us. Those days are gone. 
I think those first two or three years of Zeke's career, that threat was there. It was Zeke can take over the game and really carry this offense. As is, that's not him now. Um, he's doing well receiving, 250 yards, um, almost 40 receptions already, so he's getting targeted in the passing game. That's a little bit surprising to me. I thought Tony Pollard, the backup, would get more of those touches. Um, he was hyped up to be that type of third down back who'd come in, uh, be that little Danny Woodhead type. Uh, he is a little being shot out of a cannon type of that type of playmaker because he's so quick. Uh, but Pollard's only had 56 catch, uh, I'm sorry, rushes on the year, and he's only had 15 catches on the year. So he's not been a guy that's gotten the ball too much. I, I think fantasy people are very upset with that. I think fans are upset with that too just because Zeke continues to get the ball over and over 220 times this year compared to Pollard 71. Um, and I think that that was supposed to be a better split this year than what's worked out. Okay, let's talk scheme for a little bit. Do the do the Cowboys like to run 21, 12, or primarily 11 personnel with that talented receiving group? Yeah, yeah, they've been spreading things out. Uh, they love 11 and 12. Um, I don't see 21 too much. Uh, they want to get that speed out there. They want that ball out quickly as possible. And, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the blocking sets, the blocking sets just simply aren't great right now individually, and I think therefore as a unit they're trying to compensate that. And I give Kellen more credit on that. They try to do RPOs, they try to uh, get that ball out quickly, make the decision easier for Dalton. Uh, it was a little bit different with Dak. They were going more vertical. They were trying to attack downfield and take advantage of Dak's ability to create, get outside the pocket, keep his eyes up. All these strengths that Dak has are all gone. And so Dalton has to just make that play within that first three to four seconds of getting that ball. And so therefore, like you said, spread it out, get these tight ends uh, help blocking. They'll usually have Jarwin chip block and then release Schultz. Okay, so we've seen the last few weeks in particular, we've seen Ben Roethlisberger twice in the last five games go without uh, concern at all, naked from the pocket. So five wide, usually that's four receivers and a tight end, but it could also be four receivers and a split running back. But there's not even any, you know, pretense to play action. None of that. It's all just running out of naked. And doing that against the Ravens, that's like a slap in the face. That's an insult. And, and, but the Ravens were forced into this four cornerback dime defense where the fourth cornerback was quite weak. Now, they've actually found some, some cornerback depth in the last couple of weeks, it's very positive and, uh, you know, future for the Ravens. But one of the things I'm wondering is, is that something Dalton or you could see Dalton doing to get rid of the ball quickly um, in a in a spread formation where they don't have anybody in the backfield, don't even have a tight end lined up uh, in line? So it, it would break tendency for sure. And that might be a smart thing to do, right? You want to break the tendency of just being traditional four wide, one back, or three wide tight end, you know, you, I think it'd be smart for them to do just one from one to break the tendency. I love that when teams do that, but I also, I'm not sure that Dalton is capable of functioning at the high level that Roethlisberger is mentally. Mm -hmm. Um, I think Roethlisberger's aged very well um, for how he used to play and to how he plays now. I don't know that Dalton has ever had that um, self-awareness about his own limitations (laughs) and the concept around him. It's, It's not trying to be insulting, but like, the 1% of quarterbacks are able to do that. And I don't know that Dalton's ever been that guy to do that. So it's just more of he falls in line with everyone else. Um, It would make sense schematically, especially because I'd love to see Cedric Wilson get some more snaps. I think that he's a guy that can win um, against third and fourth corners in the league. But, again, he only has 16 catches on the year. So it's not 
at all what this offense wants to do. It's just whether they decide to start changing what they've become uh, all of a sudden. And, and I don't know that Moore is that type of offensive coordinator based off what we've seen him in two years. I think he wants to run a lot. He does, he's really good at what he runs, but I don't know that he's creative enough week to week to tailor that based off of what we've seen with Pittsburgh. Okay, now I'm, I'm just looking at Dalton last week in the game. He got rid of the ball on an average of 2.27 seconds, which is very quick. Obviously, Roethlisberger at 2.21 was the fastest in the league, and that was against the Ravens, of course. Uh, that does worry me as, as a fan, that even if you play with 11 personnel, that a quarterback that can get rid of the ball that quickly and has obviously some very significant bodying up wide receiver talent. So make the slant route a really thing. Make Obviously, on the outside, they have tons of speed and the ability to sell that go route and come back for back shoulder. Dalton was pretty good in Cincinnati at throwing in the back shoulder. Has that been a, a, a strength this year? Yeah, yeah, definitely. You can tell he's, he's just very comfortable with it. He's trying to get slants. He's trying to get back shoulder plays. And like you said, with the time to throw, they have to be one of basically three routes, mm-hmm. quick ins or quick outs, um, or it has to be one of those back shoulders or one of the slants. And I'd like to see, uh, if I'm Baltimore, you need to play physically, and, and you need to cha- take the challenge of, of facing these receivers, and you have to win those one-on-one battles early. Um, at least with compared to Pittsburgh, I don't think that Dallas has, um, I don't think that they have the structure to uh, survive when things don't go well within those first three seconds, whereas Pittsburgh can survive, Roethlisberger can survive, um, he's quicker at progressing and reading things pre-snap, whereas I think Dalton, if you give it to him and you show it to him right away pre-snap, he's going to win because he's good enough at doing that. And that's where he's like a decent starter, and then you start to see the limitations when you start forcing him out of that structure. All right, outstanding stuff. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball here. And uh, The thing I always like to start with is the most common scheme that the Cowboys will use. So what's their base run defense that they'll most typically show on first and 10. And and in this case, I'm really looking for against 21 personnel, which is probably the most typical for the Ravens. It really is probably now 12 because Patrick Ricard is out. So maybe we'd have to say against 12 personnel. And then also, what's their go-to pass defense? Third and seven, third and eight. What do they typically have on the field? Yeah, yeah. So they they like to stay heavy. Dallas wants to stay heavy uh, whenever possible. Jalen Smith, always going to be in the game. Uh, Leighton Van, Van Der Esch almost always going to be at the game. I think he's playing like over 70% of snaps this year. Uh, so they're going to try to avoid dime as much as possible. They want to play in nickel. Um, they, they, now they have Sean Lee back. So Sean Lee has been playing, uh, splitting reps with Joe Thomas, their other linebacker. Um, so base defense, you're going to be looking at a 4-3. It's going to be very typical. Um, and that's actually been a change from last year, whereas at least their alignment-wise. Uh, things now are much more uh, head up. So downhill, they are wanting their guys to take on stack and shed blocks as opposed to flowing to the ball a little bit. And I think that that's been a big issue this year compared to where they were in the past. This team is struggling against the run because Jalen Smith is not that type of linebacker because Joe Thomas is a pretty replacement-level player. Um, Sean Lee is more of a a chase type of player, weak side chase type of player. Leighton Vander Esch, very great athlete, very good strong side linebacker, but same thing with him. He hasn't seen that same success over the last couple of years because the guys in front of him aren't as good as opening up those opportunities for him. So they've seen a, a major decrease of effectiveness under Mike Nolan, the defensive coordinator, in his first year. And it's because Nolan's just trying to force things uh, as he wanted, whereas this roster was built 
for more of like a free-flowing front and chasing from behind. You know, open up those gaps and have these guys shoot them and just take them down from the weak side. It's not been the case this year. They're going to try to go man up, and I think that that's, that's going to be a scary t- challenge this week against Baltimore. This, this is still Mike Nolan, the old Ravens coordinator. He's, he's now quite old, right? Yep. Yeah, he's, wow. yeah, he's up there for sure. Um, yeah. Check out his age real quick. But, yeah, he's uh, 62 now, so yep. not, not super old. But, I mean, compared to when he got in the league, right, it's been a long time. Yeah, he was a he was a good coach, uh, good coach with the Ravens, and and uh, uh, liked him here from I think two thousand two to two thousand four. He was the Ravens defensive coordinator here, so he was after Marvin Lewis and before Rex Ryan. But uh, he did a lot with a little during that period, and particularly got the got the defense turned around after the purge pretty quickly. So hopefully he's uh, able to do that for Dallas. He in in Baltimore he was very much a committed dime uh, defense. He's of all the defensive coordinators, he's the most binary that the, the Ravens had. He's the most binary in terms of you're playing base or you're playing dime, and the, and there wasn't a lot of nickel in between. He liked to play dime. A lot of times when other teams would play nickel. Uh, but but I've talked to him once about this, and, and he, you know, he, like all defensive coordinators, will, will spout the party defensive coordinator line that you play with the players you have, and they build the defense and not the other way around. I personally think there's some flaws with that thought process. I think you need to think about whether or not you want to be a dime team for cap purposes. Uh, because it's very expensive to keep two inside linebackers who are three down unicorns. I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that, by the way, because it's something the Cowboys have at times had in the past. Yeah, no, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought of it like that before. Um, I do think that that's cost this team some versatility, maybe what he wants to do. Um, they only have two playable safeties. That's it, period. Mm-hmm. Uh, they really don't have a playable uh, slot corner at a That'll high make level. that decision for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, and it's not like they have a stud slot corner. So, you know, Jordan Lewis, Anthony Brown, those guys are both inside slash outside guys that can do either at a, a below average level. So, like, you're not choosing between, like, great options here. Trevon Diggs is a rookie having to play almost 100% of snaps, and he's been bad. Like, he's not been good. It's been a really, really rough transition for Trevon Diggs. So it's a good point for you to, to say, like, I mean, he kind of has to deal with what he has to deal with. This is not an ideal defense um, for an either-or type of situation. It's not built for that. Uh, this defense is kind of built to try to compensate for that that back end. And Xavier Woods has played well at safety. Donovan Wilson's the other safety. He's played well, too, um, both in their mid-20s. Woods about to hit free agency. Um, I think he's really made himself some money this year, not as a standout star, but as a solid player. Uh, but there's really not much that they do that's special. It's very much we're going to line up and kind of show you what we have to do because we're really not working with guys that can handle a whole lot more. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I want to go back to this one more time, but when, when a defensive coordinator does this, and believe me, I've seen the exact same thing I think that you, you have in your reporting here, is that defensive coordinators kind of kick in the dirt and said, you know, you saw our, our defense last year. You know who we have. Who are we going to put in as the third safety? The fact of the matter is those guys are available. They're available on the street. They're in large quantity. They're available cheap during the offseason. That, that third or even fourth safety, and you probably better have four if you're going to try and play three with the injuries in the NFL – um, but they're, they're, they're cheap as crap. And Ozzie Newsom made an entire career out of getting one almost any time he had the opportunity in the sixth round or later. Sixth round, seventh round, or UDFA. And they had a whole string of classy dime backs uh, during Ravens history who have done that. They've, they've, they've really stayed with that philosophy. It saved them a lot of cap space in terms of not having expensive second linebackers to pay. 
Yeah, no, that's a great point. And it's it's funny, it's the same teams that do the same things over time. It's you know, they get cheap slot cornerbacks, cheap safeties, mm-hmm. um, and it's just the it's just a constant churn. And it's just certain teams that are really good about it. And this team just has no depth on that back end. They just they they and same thing with cover three corners too. It's like mm-hmm. you shouldn't really be paying for them unless if they're like fantastic. They have to be absolutely incredible. And even then, it's almost like a running back. I might just replace him. Like mm-hmm. it's not like a man coverage cornerback that's or someone that's really great at press or something like that. Um, Dallas is just the, the roster building has just not been there the last couple of years on that specific facet. All right. All right, let's go on to the two. Uh, talk about, I like to talk about rotation and some of the depth on the defensive line, but take us to the defensive line because I know there have been some injuries there. And, and uh, Randy Gregory coming back for this game? Uh, I believe so. I believe it looks like he'll be back. I don't know that he'll play much, though. That would be my guess. My guess is he's not going to play much in the sense of, especially if Lamar Jackson doesn't play, really pass rusher. That's his function. He's going to come in rotational, third down um, type of player. I, I don't know that he has much value to this game. I think that you're going to see a lot of Antoine Woods at defensive tackle, Tristan Hill at defensive tackle, uh, Neville Gallimore, their second-round pick from this past year. It's a pretty good young defensive tackle group that they have here. They've had to flush that out, out over the last couple of years due to cap reasons, but I like the depth that they've built. They have some big bodies who can really move guys, uh, but they haven't been consistent in terms of games because of injuries, like you just mentioned. Hill only played in five games. Gallimore played in nine but he's now the starter, but he's only started the last couple of games. So there's not a consistent identity back there. Uh, Tyrone Crawford is a really nice defensive end. He can play stoutly, again, on the edge, especially if they start to move toward uh, three-man fronts or start to do off-shift uh, lines. But he's only played in a couple of games this year. He's not been a consistent guy as far as snap count. Demarcus Lawrence is obviously the big name. He's a superstar. Uh, he's played really well. The staff don't show it. He has only a couple of sacks on the year, but he's been a fantastic player as usual. Four and a half sacks. People think he's not pulling his weight. He absolutely is. Um, Aldon Smith is the other guy. He's been an amazing reclamation story. I, I really wish we'd get some more stories on Smith's comeback. Uh, five sacks on the year. He was a guy that uh, Seattle tried to trade for before the trade deadline. Uh, the Cowboys didn't want that because they want to keep him. He's 31, but he's playing really good football. More of a pass rusher, though. So this defensive line, it's funny. They, they don't match up extremely well with Baltimore as far as a downhill punishing run game because the, the young defensive tackles aren't necessarily developed enough to hold their own one-on-one a whole mm-hmm. lot, especially not two-on-one. They don't, they don't have anyone that can sit there and eat two blocks. Like that's, they would kill for a guy who could do that. Woods is their kind of go-to guy on that. Tristan Hill has that potential over time. Um, Gallimore has that potential over time, but you can tell their bodies are not ready to face 31-year-old grown men mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, they're 22 years old. So, yeah, it's just the reasonable expectations there. Um, so Lawrence is the guy to watch always just because he is a star. He can play inside, can play outside. They can line him up at outside linebacker and rush if they want to stand him up. Like, he's a do-it-all type of star. Alden Smith, do-it-all type of pass rusher within reason. He's not the same superstar as he once was, but still a solid rush presence. But that's really it. They really don't have a whole lot beyond that. Dorrance Armstrong a very stiff pass rusher. Uh, they took out the fourth round out of Kansas a couple years ago. It's just, I think it's the second year this year. Um, hasn't really made an impact at all for them. He's just been kind of a body. And that's been most of their defensive line. And they have bodies, and they have guys that over the next couple of years I think will be very helpful for their defense. But in 2020, 
they're relying on just kind of getting little bits and pieces from everyone else around Smith and Lawrence. All right. Uh, certainly where the Ravens, I think, will have to try and attack, particularly if McSorley starts this game at quarterback, which it looks like may happen now. Uh, they're, they're definitely going to have to stick with the run game. And so much is missing from that Ravens run game. I don't even want to talk about it, but Patrick Ricard is not there. Boyle is not there. Those are their sixth and seventh offensive linemen. So they've been playing a sixth lineman a fair amount to try and replicate some of that. Uh, but it's, it's just, it doesn't work out the same way with the, the read option is not as effective, obviously with, with McSorley or this last week with Griffin running it before he got hurt. Uh, it's just, it's just very difficult to do. The Cowboys, I think have a, have a chance to force the Ravens to the air, particularly if they can get the lead in this game and, uh, and, uh, and force the Ravens to play a little bit of catch up. Uh, linebackers, uh, platooning, how do, how do they deal with their, their current linebacking core? Yep, so you're going to see Smith every every single uh, play as middle linebacker. He'll be in there 100% of the snaps. Van Der Esch will uh, almost certainly be in the game, unless they go to dime, which is very rare, um, then he'll come out. But they do a lot with him. I like what they do with him. They have him rush occasionally. Um, he's strong side, so like he'll be playing probably against the tight end. Um, he'll drop in the space and cover uh, little zones. He's very athletic. He feels very well for coverage. He hasn't been putting up numbers this year as far as uh, – making plays. It's so weird. Like his rookie season, he was just all over the place, filling up the stat book. He's like another Sean Lee. And since then, he just really hasn't been doing that. He hasn't been finding the ball as well. Um, I'm not really sure what that's about. I, like it, he looks good still. Like Everything looks in place. The ball's just not finding him as well. Um, but Van Der Esch is, is a name to be watchful of because he, he can make an impact, especially in coverage. A uh, little bit of a bigger guy, stronger, uh, not amazing in coverage. Jalen Smith is definitely not amazing in coverage anymore. Um, it seems like they all bulked up a little bit um, for, for, for their current role. So I think that's cost them some of the flexibility and coverage that they used to have with them. And then you'll see you'll see Joe Thomas, but uh, Thomas is definitely a traditional inside linebacker. They don't want him doing too much outside of attacking downfield. I, I would start to expect to see more Sean Lee, though. We saw Sean Lee work a little bit last week. Uh, he played a much bigger snap count. Um, as he came back from injury, only 22%, so only 14 snaps. But that's going to start growing and growing. Uh, that's more than what we saw Thomas play last week. Thomas didn't play over him. So knowing that with that in mind, I think that's going to be what we're going to find this week. They want more of like that weak side type of player that Sean Lee can bring. Um, he can do a little bit of everything, too, when he's healthy. I mean, at this age, you know, he's had so many injuries. and At this point, he's kind of just like a, a holdover at 34 more than anything, but he is productive when he plays. So I think you might see a little bit of Sean Lee, depending on how the, the Ravens get started with their game. You mentioned if Dallas gets out to a lead, you probably won't see much of him. If it's, uh, especially if it's Lamar in there, I think you're probably going to see three linebackers almost every play. Mm -hmm. What it, it, assuming there, that's the that's what we see, and the Ravens are in their typical say 12 personnel group. What would be the scheme that Dallas might use to cut down on the read option from Lamar? Boy, I, I don't know where I don't know how they're going to defend that in the, from a competence standpoint because they don't have that third defensive back that they can trust, um, or I should say the fourth, I guess, in addition to like the because uh, they don't have that extra safety. I would assume that they would put Lee in and trust Lee over their young corners to make the reads um, and fill the gaps and drop the safety, it's tough. I think Xavier Woods is going to be heavily relied upon in that situation 
um, as a free safety. Um, they just still run a lot of split safety looks, and so I think Woods would come down more often than not and be the support help, and then they would have Banderesh at the point of attack, strong side. It just it creates so many issues for them because then you start to talk about like their vulnerabilities in the pass game. It's just not ideal. Mm-hmm. It's it's really not going to be a pre. Um, so nothing that they can't because they like Lee is good enough at reading, reacting, and chasing like to to make this work and be functional. And Woods is very instinctive as well, and he's a good finisher. But it just puts a lot of pressure on everyone else, right? So like I think that's the worst case scenario when that happens is. I would assume Dallas goes big, and then they, they keep the three linebackers, and they're going to dare Jackson to go over the top. I think that is probably statistically the best play that anyone in the NFL can play right now, um, just because this year hasn't been a great passing year for this offense. All right. Uh, Jalen Smith is the green dot for Dallas, or, or is that Xavier uh, Woods? Um, I've seen Smith have it, yeah. Okay. All right. Terrific. Take us to the secondary. Yep, so this is one of my least favorite positional groups in the NFL. <laughs> um, <laughs> I despise what they've done with it so much because I love Byron Jones. Byron Jones is my, my top three favorite cover corner in the league. Um, just the versatility to have a man cover corner that can erase one part of the field is so critical for any defense, and they just let him walk. And so, the, and my bigger problem is that they didn't have a replacement plan. I mentioned this, like Trayvon Diggs, second-round pick out of Alabama, has – has really struggled this year. He's got two interceptions, which is nice, but he's getting targeted a ton. Um, he is a guy that's allowing, I want to say it's over like 60% of completions or something this year. Like It's just been easy to throw his direction because he's so stiff and he doesn't have the, the comfort in zone to read and react quickly. It's going to be quick completions his way. He's going to give too much space, and then he's got to be forced to make the tackle. And Credit to him, he has 41 solo tackles out of 48 this year total. So he's doing a good job making those stops. It's just you're just hemorrhaging yards, and then you look across the board you know, from left to right. So other side of the corner position, they'll rotate either between Chidobi Awuzie, um, if he's healthy, which he hasn't been super healthy this year, um, Anthony Brown, which he hasn't been healthy this year. He's only played seven games, Jordan Lewis, um, an undersized guy who gets picked on a lot uh, because of his size, strong player. Um, but he's undersized, and he's not super comfortable playing the ball either. He's really, it's crazy. You watch him at Michigan, fantastic playing off ball, playing off zone, um, dropping back into a myriad of coverages. He was great in everything. Finds the ball all the time. He really didn't want to throw against him. Goes to the NFL, all that confidence is gone. The size factor's been huge. He gets bullied out and boxed out way too often, and he's just been a non-factor, like, I was pretty pessimistic on his outlook, and I still didn't think he'd be this much of just a guy. And he's just been just a body that's out there. So um, Daryl Worley, veteran that they picked up, um, he's just a guy as well. He's a, he's a cover two type of corner. They don't play a ton of cover two, so he's kind of a weird fit. Um, he's competent at the corner position, but he's not going to make any type of plays. So there's almost zero playmaking at all within the unit. They only have three interceptions between – all five guys that I've mentioned all year. Uh, pass defense, almost all of the pass defenses have come from Trayvon Diggs. He has 10 out of, I think, 16 or 17 that the position has. But a lot of that's because he's getting the volume of targets, too. So the numbers just kind of happen because he's present. Um, it's a great unit to throw against. This is the perfect unit that if you want your receiving core to play well against, they need to play well against this group. It says a lot about their group if they do not play well against this Cowboy secondary. Mm-hmm. 
That's interesting because obviously if McSorley is the quarterback, they're not going to want him to be throwing a lot, I wouldn't think, no matter what. So the Ravens coming off with you know a, a tough game against Pittsburgh with a long injury list, and a lot of it are musculoskeletal injuries, uh, you know, joint and knee and, and uh, thigh and stuff like that, that, that we don't know what the after effects of COVID might be. So it's a big concern for the Ravens, obviously, facing a team like the Cowboys. Or facing anybody, let me put it that way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, this is a better, better's nightmare, right? So, like, from my standpoint of, of that, like, I don't want to touch this game at all. And, and if I'm going to, I'm probably going to bet on the Cowboys mm-hmm. just because from the sense of, like, I know what they are. It's not great, but they're going to play the way that they've been playing as opposed to the Ravens. And you just said, I mean, the depth is ravaged. Mm-hmm. We don't know if Lamar is going to play. And if Trace McSorley is going to play, I sure want to bet against mm-hmm. Trace McSorley. Like, no offense to him, but what we saw out of him was awful. Mm-hmm. Like, him throwing the ball was just like, it was an adventure. So, and, and maybe that improves, right? Like, that can very much improve from one week to another with just confidence and scheme and, and all these different things. But, um, I, yeah, as far as, like, the way I would project this game, who knows, right? Like, it's just it's so difficult until we get that final injury report. And even then, I think that the you know you mentioned that the COVID stuff we just don't know. We don't know anything really about this on how it affects individuals. It's different from one person to the next. Um, is someone going to get out there and be gassed, and then all of a sudden, you know, if it's, it's someone like Marlon Humphrey, if he's gassed or you know a big playmaker like that, it could just change the face of the game so quickly. Um, this is a really a really one of the most unique games I can remember, just because of. Baltimore situation. Yeah, the good news is most of the Ravens secondary is has not been on the COVID list in several weeks, including Humphrey. He's played three games since he got back. And there was a lot of concern about Humphrey for the first two that his play had dropped off, but then he had an enormous game this last week. A couple of passes defensed in the end zone, a couple of forced fumbles, and uh, looks like he's back on track. So I'm, I'm happy for that, not just for Marlon, but for the other players that, that come off and hopefully that they won't be as severely impacted. Uh, Ian, we've just enjoyed this so much. It's always a great conversation about football when we have you on, and, and we want to have you on more. Um, who's the one player, though, that you think on Dallas maybe presents the greatest challenges for the Ravens? Offense or defense? I think it would be, yeah. No, I, I think it would be C.D. Lamb. And just because I love what he brings to the team, he, you can get the ball out quickly to him. And, and as much as I love Marcus Peters, I've, I'm Marcus Peters' biggest biggest fan in history. I'm counting down the interceptions he has until he reaches the <laughs> Hall of Fame. That's my hope for Marcus Peters. Like, I've just loved watching him since college. But he hates tackling, and, and he'll fill that, um, that run gap as best as he can um, as far as being present there, but he will you know, try to avoid that tackle as much as he can. And I think that that's a tough matchup for Peters just because of CD's uh, strength, his willingness to engage defenders, it's not, I mean, even Amari Cooper's the same way. Cooper's going to chase after Peters for Peters to try to tackle him. You know, he's going to want him to approach him to try to tackle him. It's almost hilarious. Um, but I think that getting the ball into Lamb's hands could present offense, uh, the, uh, defensive problems for the Ravens just from the standpoint of one missed tackle and that could be 40 yards. Mm-hmm. And then they, you're really starting to talk about, okay, maybe now Dallas can build some momentum. Um, same for Zeke. If Zeke can get out to the edge, I'm trying to go to Peters' side almost every time just to to force him to play physically. And when he plays physically, Peters can be very good. It's just a mindset thing for him where he just, if he doesn't want to, he doesn't really want to. And 
And I would be challenging him on that as often as I can. A selectively physical corner, that's for sure. Uh, tell us again p- where people can find your work, uh, Ian. Uh, yeah, on Twitter, I'm at NFL Film Study. Um, I do writing for sportsbookreview.com and for Fansided as well. Okay. Go ahead. Go ahead. Quick, before we close out of here, we still have to tell people about my bookie because they're still on board. So for the sports book that's supposed to be in the business of making money, they're giving a lot of money away this season. The fact is, if you're going to put some action on games, whether you're betting the NFL, NCAA, college ball, college hoops, whatever your preference is, you want to do it with a brand like my bookie. Make your deposit using the promo code RAVENS, and they'll match you halfway and give you a head start on building your bankroll. You put in $200 and get an extra $100 to play with. Uh, Joining and depositing is a simple process too, and it's quick. But more importantly, when it's time to get paid, that's quick too. So treat yourself some extra cash in your pocket this holiday season and invest in your intuition. It's not just winter season, it's winning season. So bet and get paid with my bookie and use the code RAVENS. All right. Thanks, Josh. Want to mention filmstudybaltimore.com. More material coming out this week still. Uh, This Know Your Foe episode will be out on Sunday. So it's Sunday now. By the numbers, will still be coming on Monday. And then, of course, the the offensive line article also will probably be out on Sunday this week. Uh, Look for it a little bit later in the day if if you're listening to this one on time. Ian, thanks again for joining us. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. part to reduce waste and recycle right many of us are ordering more items such as food and other goods delivered to our homes more packages means more waste consolidate smaller orders into one larger order to reduce waste when shopping in person bring a reusable bag recycle right by keeping plastic bags foam containers rechargeable batteries and garden hoses out of your recycling bin learn more at gorecycle.org brought to you by prince william county district of columbia and american disposal services Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.